You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it's felt like an eternity, but I'm pleased to say the World Superbike hibernation is just about over. Welcome to Season 3 already of the Full Throttle Bike Racing Podcast from Eurosport. I'm Greg Haynes, and this is Episode 1 of a brand new decade. 2020 is upon us then, would you believe it? And the World Superbike Championship is just around the corner. Now, this is a bit of a one-off podcast, actually in the two-year history of the show so far because for the first time ever and probably the only time this year I'm all on my own it's just gone 11 o'clock in the morning on Monday I've gone right through the night following all of the coverage online the live timing the live tracking of the Philip Island World Superbike test while preparing the good old magic folders for the commentary notes but yes I feel absolutely exhausted But do I feel excited? You bet I do. It's going to be an absolutely superb season. I can just feel it in my bones this year. But let's focus then on World Superbikes first of all, because we are just days away from our first live coverage of the season in the early hours of Saturday morning. And I've got the times in front of me to let you know exactly when we are going to be on air. So do you stay up on Friday night or go to bed really early and then get up? Because our first live coverage is on Saturday, the 29th of February, 1 a.m. UK time for the Super Bowl sessions. Then we'll be back on air again for race one at quarter to four. So that's 1 a.m. for qualifying 3.45 for race one, and on the morning of Sunday, the 1st of March, 12.45, so quarter to one for the World Superbike Sprint Race and the World Super Sport Race, back on air again at quarter to four, 3.45 a.m. on Sunday for World Superbike Race 2. And I just personally hope that we're going to get three different winners. We're yet to see three different winners, of course, since that format was introduced last year, 2019. And of course, 12 months ago, right now, because the season starts a week later this year, 12 months ago, Alvaro Bautista came in from MotoGP and absolutely destroyed the World Superbike field with three crushing, dominant wins on what, of course, then was a brand new V4 Ducati, which now goes into its second year. But we have one of the most radical shakeups of the race calendar for a long, long time, and certainly one of the most radical shakeups of the grid itself in recent years. 
Jonathan Ray stays with Kawasaki Racing Team. He's already made it five consecutive world titles, and he's got most of the records that are going. There's hardly any left for him to take now, but he's joined this year at Kawasaki Racing Team by Alex Lowe's, who makes the switch across from Pata Yamaha. And of course, the big irony there is had the two of them not collided while they were then racing for different teams at the last corner in Jerez last year, Alex Lowe's with his Yamaha deal at the time, would have been automatically retained by Yamaha because of his position in the championship. Just seems so ironic that it was Jonathan Ray who took him down on that occasion. Both men laughing about it now, but Ray and Lowe's are teammates. And that means it's three different teammates in as many years for the world champion Jonathan Ray. He's had Tom Sykes, he had Leon Haslam last year, and now he's got Alex Lowe's. Massive change to the lineup at Aruba Ducati as well. Chaz Davis stays and he's injury free for the first time in what feels like a very long time. Scott Redding comes into the world championship. He says he feels at home in a world championship. He spent many a year, of course, in MotoGP and now comes across as a dominant BSB champion of 2019. Now, Two riders have won BSB and World Superbikes before. One of them, of course, is the one and only Troy Bayliss. The other is Neil Hodgson. But nobody's ever gone from BSB as the champion one year and won World Superbikes immediately after in the following season. Can Scott Redding be the first as the new decade begins? Patty Yamaha's lineup is extremely exciting. Michael Vandermark stays. We know Alex Lowe's is gone. And he's been replaced by Toprak Razgati Oglu, the Turkish rider with the easiest surname in the world to pronounce, not. He is now racing alongside Michael Vandermark at Yamaha. And of course, he was one of the very few men who could beat Jonathan Ray last year in a straight fight on the same model of motorcycle, but with a private team that, of course, was the Pachetti team. Well, now he's got a full factory Yamaha and he's looking very, very confident judging by his pace in places like Aragon, Jerez, Portimao and indeed Phillip Island in the pre-season tests and we'll talk in a while about the Phillip Island test. We've had one of two days there as I record this podcast just past 11 o'clock Central European time on Monday. So that's Pata Yamaha, GRT Yamaha was always a Yamaha junior team although they couldn't really call it that last year because Marco Melandri was in the lineup. Well he's gone now of course into retirement so they have renamed it the GRT Yamaha World SBK junior team. Really exciting lineup. It's the youngest lineup on the grid. Federico Caracasulo steps up from World Super Sport and very nearly won the title there last year. Just lost out to his teammate Randy Krumenacker. Caracasulo joined at GRT by Garrett Gerloff. Great to have an American back in the field full-time. We haven't had an American winner, of course, since the late Nicky Hayden at Sepang back in 2016. And Garrett Gerloff comes across as a champion in Moto America in the Supersport category there. And that's an interesting one because Caracasulo knows all of the world superbike circuits and the paddock, apart from the new venues this year, of course. Gerloff knows a Yamaha superbike because he was racing in the superbike class of Moto America last year. But of course, he doesn't know the paddock. So they might be quite evenly matched there. Caracasulo and Gerloff at GRT Yamaha. A massive talking point over the preseason has been the return full-time to World Superbikes of HRC, Honda Racing Corporation, which of course was formed in the early 1980s with Freddie Spencer at the helm, who of course was commentating with us here at Eurosport back in 2018. 
Well, they've come a long way since then, many Grand Prix titles, but Honda haven't won a title in World Superbikes for a very, very long time. You've got to go all the way back to James Toesland in 2007, but that was a 10-carter run, essentially private team in many ways. The last time HRC was involved was 2002, and that, of course, was that phenomenal finale that year, the best ever for pretty much any racing championship, cars or bikes. No one will ever forget that finale of Bayliss versus Edwards at Imola 2002. So HRC are back after sort of fooling everybody into thinking they were back last year. It was pretty much a learning year. Now they really are back. They're throwing massive, massive amounts of money at this project. An all-new CBR 1000 triple R, 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 Leon Haslam, moves across from Kawasaki Racing Team, number 91, and by complete coincidence, flip the numbers the other way around, and you've got his teammate, number 19, Alvaro Bautista. We all know he's on a big money deal with Honda, but what can those two do with what is an incredibly rapid motorbike in a straight line? It was topping all the uh, speed traps in testing in Jerez and Portimao. HRC back in the paddock, tremendously exciting. There's a second Honda team as well, that's M-I-E, Moriwaki International Engineering, Takumi Takahashi, the Japanese rider, and a very late signing, Jordi Torres is alongside, but Jordi actually won't be competing until round three. So he'll be appearing in Jerez and then going through to the end of the season. Just going through my entry list here, who else have we got? The privateer teams. And the reason I think this could be a very good year for the privateers is that you've got some top, top riders on some factory, manufacturer-supported, privately-run, privately-funded team efforts. Pachetti Racing were the leading team last year in terms of privateers, the independent teams, as they're officially known, with Toprak Razgatioglu. Well, now you've got, in the man's own words, the top independent rider from 2018 on the top independent bike from 2019. And that is Xavi Forres, the Spaniard, who comes back in to World Superbikes after what I thought was a pretty strong debut season in BSB with Honda. And it's a shame in many ways we didn't get to see Forrest doing a second season in BSB because I think he could have been right up there, but we'll never know now. He's with Pachetti in World Superbikes. There's a Yamaha team as well, 10 Carter. And of course, they are former world champions, as I said before, with James Tozeland on a Honda and multiple Supersport world champions with Honda bikes. 10 Carter, since the middle of last year, have been with a private Yamaha. Actually put the factory team in the shade on a few occasions, even though I nearly got myself in trouble with the team press officer because of that at one point. The fact is, though, they are being supported by manufacturer Yamaha, but Tenkata are going their own way, as Fleetwood Mac might say. They're doing their own thing, and they're going very, very well indeed in testing with Loris Baz, the tall man, at the helm. The Frenchman, who, of course, has won races before with Kawasaki, and he has MotoGP experience after a couple of seasons there as well. Pedicini are the oldest team on the grid. Their best result actually was at Phillip Island in the year 2000, fourth place with the man who's the boss of the team, the founder of the team, Lucio Pedicini, then riding. Well, they lost a sponsor before Christmas and we thought it might be the demise, sadly, of the stalwarts, Pedicini, but somehow they've got it together. They've got a package together at the last moment. Hardly any testing. It's going to be a real struggle quite possibly at the beginning of the season, but they do have a very, very accomplished rider 
He is a world super sport champion. He was the first ever Moto3 world champion. It's the German Sandro Cortese. And really, it would have been a bit of a travesty not to have Cortese on the grid because he put in some very strong performances last year with GRT and didn't really show as well as he could have done because he was injured as well during the season. So good luck to Pedicini and to Cortese. Barney Racing Team. That's the team, of course, that uh, ran to several podium finishes over the last few years with Chavi Forrest, with, again, a manufacturer supporter, but essentially privately run Ducati. Last year, their best result was a fourth place with Michael Ruben Rinaldi. He's moved on now to the Go 11 team. Replacing him at Barney is Leon Camia. Now, interestingly, most of the testing has been done by Cortese, the man we were just talking about, because Camilla, yet again, would you believe, was injured. And that was at the Aragon preseason test back in November. Leon doing his left shoulder yet again. Don't know what he's got to do to get a break. And I don't mean a breaking of a bone because that's happened way too many times the last few years. Can he have some good fortune finally in 2020 and stay injury free? It's not going to be easy because he's hardly done any testing. He's looking all right at Philip Island, but there's still a lot to learn. Camilla on the Barney Ducati. Earlier on today, actually, I was watching back footage of the season opener from 2018 when he was on the Red Bull Honda. And goodness me, he was flying, wasn't he, early on that season until his horrible crash at Aragon. So it's Camilla with Barney Ducati. Michael Ruben Rinaldi, the half Italian, half Venezuelan rider, as I've already said, he's now with Team Go 11, the team Eugene Laverty was with last year. Maximilian Sheep. Now, we've been discussing with Max actually how to pronounce his name at the test sessions pre-season in Jerez. We've heard Sheep. We've usually said Sheep actually before in commentary in Superbikes and in Superstock 1000. Uh, we've heard Scheib but I believe it's actually Shabe. So I'm going to try and stick with that this year. Max Shabe, the rider from Chile on the Oralac Kawasaki. That is the Kawasaki privately funded bike, very much a private effort there that was ridden last year by Leandro Mercado. That is not going to be easy. Another South American there in the lineup, which is a bit of a coincidence, but let's see what Shabe can do on the Oralac Racing Kawasaki. Much, much lower budget than many of the other teams. A few more to reel off. We'll have some uh, a few wildcard performances across the year from Minaprilia with Christoph Ponson, who will be back in World Superbikes. Remember, he also did a one-off MotoGP race in 2018 at Mizano. Got a bit of stick for it at the time, unfortunately. It was a bit hard, I thought, some of the riders on Ponson on that occasion. But he's back in World Superbikes this year on an Aprilia. And then we've got a couple of other riders who are doing the European rounds, but only the European rounds. One of them is Leandro Mercado with Motocorsa Racing on a Jakarta Panigale V4R. Now, that's very interesting because we've known for a long time that Motocorsa would very likely appear this year. But that Motocorsa team, all across 2018, were helping to develop the new V4 Ducati with their exploits in the Italian Championship, chiefly at that point with Lorenzo Zanetti. But it's not Zanetti racing it in World Superbikes this year. It's Leandro Mercado. As I say, just the European rounds, but let's see whether Tati might do the Argentinian round as well at the end of the year. I think it would make sense from a marketing point of view and for the championship organizers, perhaps they'd back that one. And the final rider on the grid, also doing European rounds, is Sylvain Barrier, twice a European Stock 1000 champion, of course. He's on a V4 Ducati as well with the Barry Baxter run Bricks Performance Machine, like Mercado, doing just the European rounds. So that's the lineup for World Superbikes this year. I mentioned before, there's a real shakeup to the calendar as well, though. And this could, 
Doesn't necessarily mean it will, but could put a real different complexion on things by the time we get, let's say, to Assen, which is round four, which recent years have shown is where we really have to start taking a proper gauge as to where the season's going because the first few rounds can throw up all sorts of variables, not least, of course, with three races at Phillip Island in Australia, where due to the weather conditions and the configuration of the circuit with its anti-clockwise configuration and very, very quick corners can throw up all sorts of issues with tires and therefore unusual results. Phillip Island then still kicks off the season once again as we move into the second campaign to feature three races, that new format that started in 2019. Then there's a week off and we're straight to Qatar. Of course, Qatar has been the last venue on the calendar with its night races the last few years. Well, a bit of a change this year because they're hoping soon to resurface the LaSalle International Circuit. So they're going to have in a very strange set of circumstances, MotoGP one weekend and World Superbike straight after it. But because of all the time they're going to need to take everything down from the MotoGP setup and then put everything back up again in a slightly different configuration for World Superbikes, I'm talking about track signage, uh, the media center, the paddock all needs to be taken down and all the MotoGP equipment taken away and everything brought back in straight away for World Superbikes. But to give them an extra day, the World Superbike weekend reverts to a Saturday-Sunday format. Of course, the last two or three years have been a Friday-Saturday race for World Superbikes. It's back, for those reasons, to Saturday-Sunday for 2020. So races one, two, and three in Australia, four, five, six in Qatar. The European season will start at the end of March. Jerez in Spain. So instead of Thailand, Aragon for rounds two and three, it's Qatar, Jerez this year. Then it's Assen for round four in the Netherlands. Imola retains its fifth round. That's in early May. A couple of weeks later, we go to Aragon. And don't forget, going to places like Jerez in March and Aragon in May mean we're going to get quite different conditions to what we've seen the last few years. Doesn't necessarily mean the teams can just roll out their setups from last year and carry on like that. And that's not even taking into, configure, uh, into account the fact we've got new bikes, new teams, and many riders on what are new bikes for them. After Aragon, we go to Mizano for round seven, Donington Park. Start buying your tickets if you can, UK listeners. The weekend of Friday the 3rd to Sunday the 5th of July. Donington will host round eight of the season. Then we go to Oshersleben, the last weekend of July into August. Saturday the 1st, Sunday the 2nd of August. The Oshersleben Motorsport Arena in Germany. That's back on the calendar for the first time since 2004. Then we're off to Portugal in early September for round 10 of 13. And for the third time this season, we'll be here in Spain in mid-September. And the first time ever that the Circuit de Barcelona Catalunya will feature in World Superbikes. That's a spectacular track for motorcycle racing. A lot of Formula One testing happens there. And of course, they've been there very recently indeed last week. But for bikes... That's going to be superb to see World Superbike machines around turn three at Barcelona and those last few corners as well. Magnicor is the penultimate round and the final European destination this year. That's at the end of September. And then with Qatar having moved to round two, it means the season for the first time ever is going to finish in Argentina and our third visit to the Villicum circuit in San Juan province. That's the weekend of the 10th and 11th of October.
That's our 13 rounds then for World Superbikes in 2020. We have had testing, I've already mentioned. The only official tests, though, are the two-day test in Australia happening right now, and then one other to be confirmed in the middle of the season. For what it's worth, I heard a bit of a whisper during the Jerez test last month that we are going to have a test in Catalonia, which would make sense, I think, because it'll be the first time that World Superbikes races there. The only team that's been there so far was Kawasaki, who had a filming day there in January and managed to sort of change half of that filming day into a proper day of testing. That's one thing we must not forget. Well over half, in fact, 60% of pre-season testing this year has been affected by rain. We had a few spots of rain as well at Phillip Island earlier on this morning, as it is for us here in Europe, but earlier on today. So we haven't had a single test yet this pre-season that hasn't been affected by rain. And you have to feel the real winners there are people who are on the same bikes as last year. Notably, of course, five-time world champion Jonathan Ray knows the team, knows his crew chief, Pere Riba, knows the setup, has all the data, has the confidence. And because he's been wrapping up these world titles so early in the season now for the last few years, it's a real snowball effect. They have the title sewn up four, five, six races from the end of the season. It can sometimes give them a full three rounds at three different circuits to start testing things ready for the next year. So Jonathan Ray should be comfortable in that respect. Charles Davis, you could say, is another one who should be quite comfortable in that respect. But when, when you think of Scott Redding on the Ducati for the first time, Alex Lowe's on a Kawasaki. He was talking about this, in fact, earlier today in Australia. Toprak on the Yamaha for the first time. That's not to mention the HRC bikes, of course, of Bautista and Haslam. They all need dry weather, and they've hardly had any of it. And surely, in the long run, that has to be advantage, Jonathan Ray. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, maybe not. I don't know, but that's certainly my feeling. Let's have a quick look, then, at the testing times from Phillip Island. We've only had one day of the test. Should always be taken with a pinch of salt, should testing, because it's not just about that one quick lap, of course. It's about race simulations. And even then, nobody's got in a full race simulation because it's, what, 21 laps at Phillip Island. Nobody's got in more than 17, 18 laps today. And it's not proper race conditions. The weather might be different by the time we get to Saturday. And, of course, the pressure of the occasion. We just don't quite know what's going to happen. But that's the great thing about Phillip Island. But just for the record, Toprak topping the test on a 130 740, not that far off the race lap record. But he was telling journalists at the track earlier on that he feels he pushed too hard. He pushed very, very hard for the first five laps and then decided to set it into a race simulation. But by the time he'd done that, he said, he'd, in his words, killed the left shoulder of the rear tire with some of those very, very punishing, long left hand corners at Phillip Island. So I'm thinking of the stoner corner at turn three. The two final corners, of course, leading back into the start-finish straight. And perhaps most critically, turn two, the Southern Loop, which is actually the longest radius corner on the whole of the 13-round World Superbike Championship calendar. So that's why you get so many problems. Because Phillip Island, they're long corners, they're high-speed corners, pretty much all of them on the left-hand side of the tire. So it's not equal degradation of that rear tire. It's all on the left-hand side with very often blazing sunshine and very high temperatures and at funny lean angles as well. And that's why you get so many tire issues at Phillip Island. It's why so often things can change in the closing stages of a race because in testing, you don't really get the chance to do a full race simulation. 
And that's why in the last few laps of that race, you just do not know what's going to happen. They're going to have to be careful in the early stages. Going to be absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Top rack then topping the test today from Tom Sykes on the BMW. Loris Baz again right up there on the 10 car to Yamaha with Jonathan Ray reigning world champion in fourth position. The first HRC Honda Haslam was fifth and it was Reading. Vandermark, Laverty on the BMW. Lowe's on a Kawasaki had a crash at turn four, which interrupted his race simulation earlier on this afternoon. Chas Davis, 10th. He always, though, keeps things very low-key in testing. Chas Davis, I'm sure, is not in the bad situation he was in this time last year when he qualified 16th, if you remember, at Phillip Island and came away from that event with a best finish of 7th place in race two, which, of course, is the third race of the weekend because they're officially named race one, the sprint race, and race Two. Now let's talk a little bit about World Supersport and what happened in their day of testing at Phillip Island earlier on today. And it's the rider, the young Italian who's come across from Moto2, 23-year-old Andrea Locatelli, didn't really set the world alight, it has to be said, in Moto2. He was quicker, actually, on a Moto3 bike. He was the Italian championship the CIV Moto3 champion of 2013, and then stepped up full-time to the Moto3 World Championship, if you remember, in 2014. Started to come good in 2016 with the Leopard Racing Team when he was on the podium twice. Then he stepped up for the last three years to Moto2 with Ital Trans, and it just didn't really work out. 28th in the World Championship the first year, 15th, which proved to be his best in 2018, only 18th on the scoreboard for Locatelli in 2019. For one reason or another, it didn't work out. But it seems to be going quite well so far in World Supersport. He is with, you could argue, the best team on the grid, certainly judging by 2019, the tighter winning team. They were 1-2 in the Riders' Championship. They led the Teams' Championship. They won the Manufacturers' Championship. It was the Bardell Evanbros team. Last year, it was Krumanaka and Karakasula. They finished 1-2 and two in the Championship in that order. Just the one rider for them leading the way at the moment in 2020, and it is Andrea Locatelli. He topped the timesheets. He wasn't far off record pace. He was only three-tenths of a second off the race lap record, but it has to be said that for the first time ever this year, the Supersport classes are on slick tyres. Now, this is something else I think I'm going to leave to wit in commentary over the weekend, but we have had quite a few tweets already asking, why is a production-based series like World Supersport, which has always run tyres in the past, certified by the Department of Transport, DOT tyres, they were called, why they're running slick tyres? Well, there's a few reasons. I think cost is certainly one of them. From a riding point of view, it's also good in some ways because the riders now, in fact, it's very good from this point of view, the riders are able to get a feel for those slick tyres already when they're racing in the new Blue Crew R3 Cup, which comes in this year. And that's, would you believe, for 12 to 16-year-olds racing uh, Yamaha R3s in the Blue Crew Cup. They're going to be racing at the majority of the European rounds. They'll be on slick tyres. Supersport 300 World Championship, slick tyres. And the Supersport 600 World Championship, as it essentially is, on slick tires. But we'll go more into that with James in commentary 
over the weekend. But Locatelli then leading the way in the test so far. Randy Krumanak a second now on an MV Augusta. And they're looking good judging by the times from the test. But as I say, you have to take it all with a bit of a pinch of salt. It is only testing. One of his two teammates, Rafael De Rosa, was third. Isak Vinales on the Calio Racing Yamaha R6 was fourth. And then I think I'd say the man who's quite possibly my tip for the title at the moment, Luca Mayas on the Pachetti Kawasaki in fifth place. And there have been a few changes to the regulations to make things a little bit more equal, shall we say, between the different manufacturers because Supersport has been, whether it's uh, fair or not, criticized in the last few years for being a bit of an R6 cup. It has been dominated by the Yamaha R6. There's no two ways about it. Let's see what happens this year. Could we possibly have an MV Augusta with Krimanaka on board perhaps? winning the title. How good would that be? A few tweets have come in. Todd Shoot on Twitter was talking about the Supersport bikes on slick tyres. Uh, Todd, we will come back to that one with James Whitham in commentary over the weekend. Uh, some uh, amusing replies about... Uh, the fact that I was tweeting earlier from Greg Haynes TV that the winner of the first race hasn't won the title for the last two years. Superbike World replied jokingly, hoping that Toprak won't win this weekend because they're obviously hoping Toprak wins the title. Uh, then we had Deb replying, hoping that Jonathan Ray does win, implying that she doesn't want him to win the title, of course, after all of the domination of the last five seasons. And I can see where you're coming from there, Deb. I really can. You could argue in some ways domination isn't good for any championship. But the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, and please feel free to agree with me, I just think Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki have done the best job over the last few years. And I don't think any other team, if you take Jonathan Ray out of the equation, I can't think any other rider could be happy with their season, generally speaking, over the last few years. Because perhaps with one or two exceptions, everybody has quite simply just been too inconsistent. And that's going to be the key this year for me. We're going to have some very strong challenges. The Hondas are going to be up there at times. The Yamahas have a tremendous improvement by the looks of things. The chassis is the same, but they've got a greatly improved, vastly improved aerodynamics package. They have a vastly improved engine. I've heard they may have about 11 brake horsepower more, which is about 5% more. If that's true, that is a remarkable gain in horsepower from one season to the next. So they're going to be up there as well. Uh, the Hondas, as I say, obviously the Ducatis. Scott Redding knows the bike from last year. Yes, he's now with World Superbike Electronics. They don't have those electronic aids in BSB. They're all going to be there, though. They're all going to have their day. The key for me will be, are they going to be able to settle for a second or a third place when it's not their time to win? And that's what Jonathan Ray's been doing so well for the last five years. And look what happened last year. All those wins for Alvaro Bautista, Jonathan Ray kept finishing second, 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 maybe a third every now and again. And goodness me, did that really pay off by the time Batista started crashing out of all of those races in the middle of the season. Laguna Seca, of course, in particular. Shame to see that Laguna is off the, uh, the schedule this year. Variety of reasons really for that one. But um, speaking to people in the paddock, it seems though perhaps the previous race organizers there at the circuit perhaps owed money to the championship organizers. Thailand is off as well. I think it's probably fair to say Thailand was used as a little bit of a guinea pig for World Superbikes, ready for MotoGP. And now MotoGP is established there. The Superbike contract was up and Thailand is off the calendar. But don't worry, because it seems like Asia may well be back next year with a new fixture in Indonesia. There's certainly a circuit being scheduled to appear for 2021 for both World Superbikes and MotoGP. Let's hope it happens on time. 
in Indonesia next year and a few other destinations are being mooted as well. We'll talk about this, of course, as we get into commentary across the season and in further podcasts as well. Jono Shooter on Twitter. Hi, Greg. How do you think Garrett Gerloff and Federico Caracasulo will do in their rookie seasons with the GRT Yamaha? Jono, it's going to be a tricky one, you know, to know who's actually going to come out on top there. I personally think from all of the teams on the grid, the most closely matched teammates will be Patti Yamaha, as Michael van der Mark and Toprak Razgatioglu, because Toprak's definitely bringing an air of confidence into the team. And I think he's going to push Michael van der Mark to have an even better season this year, quite possibly his best ever. And by the way, looking at the race simulations from the test earlier today, it looks to me as though van der Mark's put in quite possibly the best race simulation so far. Laps all in the mid to high 31s, about an 18 lap run. And there was just a couple in the uh, early 32s in the last three laps. That looked quite promising for Vandermark, and he seemed quite chilled out, actually, and laid back in his interviews at the end of the day. But just going back to GRT Yamaha, they are by far the youngest lineup on the grid. We'll talk more about the, the ages of the lineups, because there's quite a difference, actually, between GRT Yamaha, which is the youngest, and HRC, the Honda factory team, which is the oldest. Combined age of 71 for Haslam and Bautista. I'll go into the GRT Yamaha combined age when we're on the telly over the weekend. I think Gerloff and Karakasudo are going to be closely matched. I have to feel Karakasudo might have the edge at first. I may well be proven wrong here, though, by Garrett Gerloff. I'm saying Karakasudo, though, because he knows Phillip Island. He knows Qatar. Well, he knows all the tracks, actually. And Garrett Gerloff, until he started testing at Aragon in November, hadn't even laid foot on tarmac at a European track ever before. He's used to the American circuit. So although he knows the R1 in superbike form and Caracasulo didn't, I have to feel Caracasulo's knowledge of the tracks and the paddock in general will leave him ahead, certainly over the first few races. But I may well be proven wrong, particularly at Phillip Island. Gerloff knows the R1, although the fuel tank on the GRT bike is what we sort of call in the paddock the Marco Melandri fuel tank, the one that Melandri, who of course is now retired, was using last year. Let's see what happens then with that over the course of the season. But as you can probably hear, and I'm sure you've all got your own opinions as well, we just don't know. We've been in the paddock, we've been talking with crew chiefs, with riders, with journalists, with fellow commentators. Nobody really knows what's going to happen this year. It is the most open season for World Superbikes for quite a long time, and that has to be a good thing. Just running through some of the quotes from the riders, not everybody, but just a few of them uh, from the test earlier on. We've talked about Toprak already, and the fact he said for Tuesday, he just needs to calm it down a bit and not push quite so hard over the first five laps. Don't wreck the tire. That's going to be absolutely critical, of course. Something Perrot Reba, Jonathan Ray's crew chief, always says is that, you know, people might do a race simulation, what they call a race simulation of 15, 16, 18 laps, whatever it is. But let's not forget the race is 21 laps and it's no good being absolutely on the money until you get into the penultimate lap and then your tire goes off and you drop back into the pack. We've seen that happen before. So there are going to be people being very careful. Leon Haslam, he seems to be playing a little bit cautiously now, I feel, at Honda. I might be proven wrong here, Leon, if you're listening. We'll see what happens. We know Leon goes very, very well at Phillip Island. He's had a load of podiums there and all sorts of different bikes over the years. It really suits his style, does Phillip Island. But it just seems now that Honda have got to a point where they're still making quantum leaps. They're not yet into the fine tuning of that new CBR 1000 triple R, as we're all calling it. 
they're going to have to start making some decisions and they might have to have some extra tests in at some point as well. But remember, testing is quite limited. There's only a certain number of days the teams have during the season. So he and Bautista seem to be giving similar feedback. There's obviously certain little niggles that each rider wants to perfect for themselves. But that is the whole thing. They haven't yet got to the point of perfecting the setup on the new Honda. They're still dealing with quite big things at the moment, quite big new parts and Leon has them said there's four or five big things we still need to test and we're just running out of time now because I've only got one day of testing on Tuesday and then Friday free practice and then we're into the race qualifying in the race on Saturday so they're running out of time they're gonna have to just go with something they're happy with and stick with it for now but then what do you do when you get to the following circuit so let's see what happens there they had a little bit of an outing recently in Qatar so they might be all right there for all these reasons this is why we don't really know the true form of the championship until we get to about round four, at least, I would say, at the very earliest, at Assen. One thing I haven't touched on yet, but is mightily important this year, is that the regulations, for the first time in a long time, the technical rules have stayed the same between 2019 and 2020. Now, over the last few years, we've had all sorts of changes. We've had sporting changes, whether they are reversing grid positions from one race to another, uh, we've had races on a Saturday and a Sunday when it all used to be on the Sunday. These are just sporting changes. We've had technical changes as well with approved parts and concession points being brought in, uh, standardized parts, throttle bodies, electronics. Things have changed a little bit in the last few years and, and all sorts of other things as well, which I won't bore you with now. The whole point is every time there's a change like that, it can lead, of course, to some uncertainty earlier on in the season. And we've seen this in even Formula One, haven't we, in the past? If you look at 2009 with Formula One, you had the double diffusers were rolled out. And Toyota and Williams, and in particular, Braun GP, found something with that, didn't they? And absolutely turned everything on its head at the beginning of that year. Now, things aren't going to be turned on their head this year because we don't have a dramatic regulation change. The point I'm making is regulation changes can deliver big surprises like that initially. But eventually, over time, it's always going to be the biggest teams with the biggest budgets and the most resources, the best staff, the best riders who will end up coming out on top. And that's what's happened. That's one of the reasons Kawasaki's come out on top the last few years. They're not in MotoGP. They are in World Superbikes. And they, over the season, have been able to, once they've got some proper testing in, if you look at 2018, they had a brilliant test at Bruneau in the middle of the year. And from that moment onwards, they were more or less unstoppable on paper, if you look at it across the rest of that season. So for me, it's a good thing that the regulations have stayed the same this year because it's going to give the field a chance to concertina together, we hope. And you have to think that those behind, yes, Kawasaki will move forward, but you have to think those with more to gain might be able to close up the gap a bit. And it seems like that's been the case so far with people like Aruba Ducati and Yamaha. Still a bit of a question mark over the Honda, I would say. BMW I haven't discussed yet. Tom Sykes, I did mention before, was up there second place today. They had an engine let go with Eugene Laverty at Portimao a few weeks ago in testing in January. I don't know about BMW yet. It's a tricky one to judge. If you go in the garage at the tests, it's very, very quiet. It's almost silent. And there's a real air of professionalism and confidence in that garage. I'm not sure anyone in the paddock's completely convinced yet that they're in a position to be challenging regularly for race wins across the season. I hope they are. It'd be superb if they are. But Tom Sykes has even gone on the record in video interviews saying, although he'd love to be world champion again, which is superb to hear, he does think it might be a little bit over-optimistic at this point 
to go into the 2020 season hoping to fight for the title. We'll see what happens. And of course, it's a bit of an irony in some ways that the man alongside him, A, left Muir Racing when they had a bit of a fallout when they were then with Aprilia, if you remember. SMR and Eugene Laverty fell out at the end of 2018. And B, it was Laverty who was Sykes' closest challenger. And of course, we're still able to win that 2013 title when they went into the final round that year at Jerez in Spain. And now, of course have united as teammates. So I hope that sort of covers a little bit about what we can look forward to in World Superbikes this year. There's a load more to talk about. We'll do that with James Whittam as we get into commentary at the weekend. And don't forget to send in your tweets, jimwitt69 and Greg Haynes TV. You can send me messages as well on Instagram if you want, Greg Haynes TV, and it's Gregory Haynes on Facebook. Just send us all the questions and observations you can. We'll try and get a few ready before we go on air. And of course, as things progress and develop, over the race weekend, there'll be a lot of stuff coming to light. Let's see what the weather does. It should be all right, I think, in Australia, although it has been quite a lot cooler than people were expecting. In some ways, ideal testing conditions today, but cooler than it's been. And that took a few people by surprise, I think. It caught a few people off guard. So we'll see what happens. And another thing we need to bear in mind is that there may well be a pit stop race again for World Super Sports. It's the first time they've raced with slicks. I've heard... Different numbers, but the teams were told they couldn't do any more than either 10 or 12 laps today. Depending on the team you talk to, you get a different answer. But certainly nobody able to do any more than 12 laps, Pirelli is saying. And of course, you never know for sure. But I'm hearing from quite a few people whether this turns out to be true or not. We'll find out on Sunday. But a 99% chance, many people are saying, which is a bit of a cliche, but a 99% chance of another pit stop race where they're only going to be able to do, let's just say, 10 laps on one tyre meaning they have to come in and change that rear tyre. But will we have a pit stop race? Certainly for World Super Sport, as we did last year. Remember, that's when Karakasulo's paddock stand got stuck on the rear wheel and in some ways cost him the race last year. I think that's got everything covered then. We've gone through the calendar. We've gone through the lineup. We've gone through a little bit of the testing times and the reaction we had from Philip Island in the test earlier today. I'm very much looking forward to having you all with us here on the Full Throttle podcast and on Eurosport again this year. Just to quickly remind you of those times, we'll be starting with a 1 a.m. start UK time for the Super Bowl sessions. 1 a.m. on Friday night or Saturday morning for the Super Bowl sessions. Back on air again at quarter to four on Saturday morning for World Superbike Race 1. And then Sunday, it's 12.45 on Saturday night. So quarter to one on Sunday morning for the sprint race and the World Supersport race. Then we're off air for a short time in terms of live coverage and back on again at the same time as the day before. Quarter to four on Sunday morning will be the second full-length race and the third race in total for World Superbikes on the first weekend of the season. I've been Greg Haynes. Thanks for listening to me waffling on there for the last 45 minutes or so. Can't wait to get going. We've been waiting, waiting, waiting since Qatar last October. World Superbikes 2020, the 33rd season since the championship began back in 1988, is just around the corner. Now the decision is, do you stay up or do you get up? 1 a.m. on Saturday morning, UK time, we will be live with Charlie Hiscott, James Whittam, and me, Greg Haynes, on the Eurosport player and on Eurosport television. It's World Superbikes 2020.